Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Nope Too Creepy podcast. This episode features two stories that show that your home, your haven, the most sacred and safe place in one's life, can also be the source of absolute terror and dismay. We'll start with a very short story to whet your appetites, written by Reddit user Ayer Viez. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Here is Stay Still, Stay Silent. This is a story about something that happened to one of my friends while they were in their house. It was basically just a normal day. We were nearing vacations and friends were going in and out, visiting each other, because classes were something that were going to end soon anyway. This made them leave their doors unlocked, since she and her friends had been visiting each other on a daily basis. She had just been hanging out with a few friends from school. It was a somewhat small neighborhood, so everyone sort of knew each other already, and it wasn't that dangerous to do such things. Strangers or thieves were rare, so there were barely any intruders or anything like that. That's what she kept saying, at least. Excuses, I suppose. It's here that she went to sleep and remained like that until she heard a noise in the middle of the night. She was hearing footsteps. At first, she thought it must have been her parents or someone going down for a glass of water. She got up because she was also a bit thirsty. She remained very silent as she didn't want to wake anyone else up. She quietly made her way to her door, being careful not to make any noise on the creaky floor. She opened up her door without making a noise and began to head down. No other room was open. No one else had gotten up. She saw a man covered in black clothes, who she definitely did not know. She couldn't scream. She was almost in shock. She went back to her room without making any noise, thinking it must have been a thief, and hoping that they would leave eventually. She quickly made her way to the bed and stayed there without moving, still hearing the footsteps from the floor below. But then, the steps began to get closer. She could hear him going up the stairs. She was close to crying at this point, but she wouldn't utter a single sound. She wanted it to appear as if she was still asleep. The man opened her door and entered her room. He was probably looking at what he could take from there. She wanted to look like she was still sleeping, not moving a muscle trying to control her breathing to seem calm, and only managing to get a somewhat trembling breath. Regardless, she thought it was working, until the man walked toward her and placed his hand on her shoulder. The man remained as he was, very calm and silent as well, until he said a few words that sent chills down her spine. Stay asleep. You're doing a great impression. She remained still, 
and silent as he told her to, a few tears falling down her face. He said that in a hushed tone and then left the house. She had never been more scared in her entire life. Ever since then, she's had a bit of trauma, telling her parents and trying to tell them that they should move to another house. Now, she's always locking everything and making sure absolutely no one could get in. Are your terror taste buds tantalized, dear listener? I hope so, because the main course is here. This next story features a distressed man recounting a trauma from his childhood. Written by Reddit user Harambi556. Sit back and enjoy. The family next door kept a man under their house. Danny's parents told him never to go into the basement. I was over at his place the first time he tried to open that thick, dark oak door. I remember, we were seven at the time, I think, him flashing that cheeky, lopsided smile before standing on his tiptoes and straining for the handle. I remember his dad snatching him away a second later and slamming him back down next to me with a force that brought tears into Danny's eyes. Mr. Johnson was a very big man, and though I'd known him all my life, he had always been a slight source of fear for me. As I grew older, this infantile nervousness around him subsided a little, but he always made me weary. Mr. Johnson knelt, gripping Danny's shoulders. His face was red with anger, but he also looked shaken. I noticed he was trembling almost as much as his son. Listen to me, Danny. His voice cut like a knife. You never, ever open that door. Do you understand me? Never. I told you before, and I'll tell you again, under no circumstances do you go in there. Then he bundled his sniveling son into a tight hug before inviting us to come watch cartoons. Afterwards, I had asked Danny what was behind the door. He told me in a roundabout way that it was his basement. He seemed only half interested in the conversation, always distracted by the tinkle of an ice cream truck or an interesting stick. Danny's zealous imagination could take anything innocuous, anything every day, and turn it into something extraordinary. Sometimes, I thought he could actually see the things that he dreamed up. Danny and I had always been friends. We were never really given a choice in the matter. Our families neighbored each other directly, and our parents had known each other since college. They just heaped the infant Danny and I together, and waited for our bond to grow. And there was a bond, in the simplest sense. We were best friends. We were always together. In the same class at school, in the same scout group, we even ducked into and out of each other's houses like they were connected. 
For me, there doesn't exist a life where Danny was not there to get me in trouble or to get me out of it. Of course, we had our differences. I was always the quiet one, good in school, rarely to be without my nose in a book. Indeed, if it hadn't been for the influence of the popular and gregarious Danny, I might well have been subjected to harsh teasing throughout my education. That was how our unspoken trade-off played out. Danny would vouch for me amongst our peers, seeing that I was invited to games of tag and birthday parties, and I would help Danny with his schoolwork. He never had a head for sums or science, but his weakest spot was English. Spelling, creative writing, a rare point of humiliation for Danny. He could never wrap his brain around which words fit to which meaning, or which meaning fit to which word, or what the word was for a particular meaning, etc., etc., etc. Looking back, he was, at the very least, dyslexic, and probably had other conditions which meant he struggled in school. Sorry. Let me get to the point. Danny's parents told him never to go into the basement. And after that first incident, met by harsh parental discipline, he obeyed the command. Whenever we were at his house, we would stick strictly to his room, or the lounge, or the garden. But over time, as it always did, Danny's insatiable curiosity grew. His eight-year-old brain feared punishment too much to try opening that door again without intel on what lay behind it, and any questions directed at his parents about the contents of the basement were either ignored or met with rebuking. His parents probably rightly realized that if Danny were to gain the smallest morsel of information about that room or catch the tiniest glimpse of what lay inside, then his wild imagination would create the other pieces of the puzzle, causing his curiosity to become too much to bear. After a few months, Danny would often bring up the basement in conversation, presenting, in childish dialect, his latest speculation on what could be in there to my appraising ear. An alien egg, a robot clone, a baby dragon. For my part, I was not terribly interested in the contents of my neighbor's basement, as well as being too timid to ever aid Danny in a break-in. Danny was convinced that his parents were hiding something in there, and it was precisely his parents' caginess in the face of Inquisition which strengthened his theory. His older brother, Aaron, 15, only laughed when Danny brought his theories to him and called him stupid. Then, one day, something changed. That morning, when Danny came galloping from his front door to join me in our walk to school, there was a strange air about him. He kept shooting me sideways looks and suppressed smiles, as if he knew a secret and was bursting to tell. Of course, knowing Danny, his lips did not remain sealed. There's a man in the basement. The words came tumbling out of his mouth in a pile, leaving him panting. It caught me off guard. My rational brain couldn't comprehend such an offload of information. What? What do you mean? I heard him. 
whispering through the door. He heard me, and I unlocked the door. Dad was at work. I opened the door, and there were these dark steps, and I could see the man down there, and... Wait, wait, Danny. You really saw a man in your basement? Yeah, yeah. I, I heard him whispering through the floor, whispering for help. Stop messing with me, man. No, I swear. I double, triple swear. Only this most sacred of oaths made me pause in my denial of Danny's story. For the first time, I let the thoughts cross my mind. Was it true? I began to question him hesitantly. Slow down. What about your dad? I told you, Cam. He was working late. Your mom? She was home, but I just couldn't ignore it. She'll kill you if she catches you, man. She won't. I shut the door afterwards. So, he whispered through the floor? Yeah. He must have heard me walking around. The house was really quiet. I heard him whispering. I put my ear to the floor, near the moldy floorboard. You know what I mean. And I could hear him. His voice was really scratchy, like like he had a cold or something. He sounded pretty cuckoo. He kept repeating himself, asking for help, over and over, mumbling about being alone in the dark or something. I resigned myself, reluctantly, to believe. Dude, that's really weird. You should tell your parents. I advised. Here's the thing, Cam. Danny whispered, voice crackling with excitement. What if they're... What if they're keeping him there? No, man. That's crazy. What are you... You remember that film that Aaron showed us? The one that mom got mad at him about. There was that guy. The mad scien... Scien... Scientist. That's what I was going to say. That mad scientist. He kept those two dudes in his basement, all chained up. He put that needle in them, you know, when their eyes exploded. Both of us paused to screw our faces up in disgust at the memory. And then he came in with that knife, and they were screaming. And then mom walked in and switched it off. What if that's what mom and dad are doing? keeping that man down there in the basement. I took a moment to digest this. Think about it, Cam. All the facts add up. This was a catchphrase Danny had learned off of TV. Faced with Danny's, to me, flawless logic, I had no choice but to agree. Looking back, I find it strange, partially on my part, but more so on Danny's, how we were able to establish such a mental disconnect. How could we wholeheartedly believe that Mr. and Mrs. Johnson were carrying out the actions of a serial killer, and yet harbor no ill feelings toward them? In Danny's case, love them. Our attitudes toward them did not change at all. Sometimes we forget how simple the mind of a child really is, how innocent, 
and conversely, how easy to shatter. Danny filled me in further, explaining how the man had been on all fours at the bottom of the dark steps, and how thin and bony he had looked. Danny seemed to imply, at one point, that he had made direct eye contact with the man, but he appeared to grow slightly uncomfortable at that point, quickly moving on with his description of the event. He had been about to go down those steps when he heard his mom calling from upstairs. Then, he had exited the basement, locking the door and replacing the key behind the toaster, where he knew his dad had kept it. Over the next week, Danny updated me regularly. He had been unable to find a moment where it was possible to open the door again, but he had told me that at a few quiet moments in the evenings, he had whispered through the floor to the man, and the man had occasionally whispered back. He was careful to never let his parents catch these strange conversations. Doing so would alert them to the fact that he knew their secret. He was always vague about the exact contents of these talks through the floor. I took this as a way of him guarding his secret, like a serpent guards its hordes of treasure. But that Sunday, Danny granted me access to the treasure trove. Like most Sundays, I arrived at his house early in the morning, ready for a day of cartoons and fort building. But as soon as Danny had closed the door to his bedroom, he explained that he had a new item on his agenda. You're going to talk to him today. I did not have to ask who he meant. Looking back, I'm not sure I even wanted to take part in this eerie ritual. I'm sure I was terrified by the idea of whispering to an unknown man underneath the floor. Danny led me downstairs, leading me over to the spot near the moldy floorboard, his communication link. He made me kneel down, put my ear to the floor, and speak. As it was, I only had to listen. No sooner did my ear touch the floor than I was assailed by a strange sound, almost like a stormy wind or nails on a blackboard. Straining my hearing, I could make out sounds, then words, then sentences. My brain came to terms with the fact that it was all true, that there really was a man, this man, mere meters below me. I jumped with a start, heart suddenly racing, sending Danny into fits of giggles. But I wasn't laughing. There was something altogether not right about what was happening. My young mind could not place it exactly, but it had something to do with that awful, rasping voice. Slowly this time, I dipped my head again, this time paying attention to what was being whispered to me. Hey, hey, you still there? Help me, please, kid. You gotta help me. There's nothing down here but the shadows. Shadows all around. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help, 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 help. This frantic repetition did not come with a rise in pitch or even a waver in tone or consistency. The speaker just spat the words out at a ferocious rate 
concentrating only on clarity and speed. They whispered, as someone who learned that they must whisper, regardless of how much they want to scream. But slowly, as I listened to the repetition, the begging for aid, I detected a rising urgency. No, in... Was it... Anger? Yeah. It was discernible now. A clear and growing hate behind the words. Little shit, I'm begging you. Please, please, I'm begging you. Come down here and help me. What are you doing? What are you doing? Help, help me. And then, as I listened in petrified silence, not breathing, just listening, he began to say other things. I'm not going to put them down here. I haven't spent 20 years in therapy trying to burn them from my mind just to put them down here. Just know that from what he said and how he said it, all I could think was this man, this wretched thing below me, was the most desperate person I had ever come into contact with. To prostrate himself like that, to abase himself, to make himself little better than an animal, it made me think that he was absolutely terrified out of his mind. I had heard enough. I turned my ear away from that crack in the floor, and I made my mistake. I looked down. It was only for a second. A second was all it took. I saw his eye. In that dark crack, I saw what I first thought to be a fat cockroach or a bulging woodlouse. Some kind of rotund insect, bulbous and chittering. Then, the ruptured, dirty brown, shell-like eyelid opened. Time slowed down. The watery, red-tinted pupil frantically flitting, resting on me. The eye was milky white, with collections of dank yellow goop collecting in the corners. Veins bulged across its surface, giving me the impression that it was about to burst. I couldn't look away. I felt like that blighted eye was staring straight into my soul, like a madman, a wild thing. I fell back, letting out a cry of fear. I pushed past Danny, running out of the front door, tears streaming down my cheeks. I didn't stop until I was under the covers of my own bed, choking sobs echoing into my pillow. I wouldn't tell my parents what was wrong. Looking back, I wish I had. After a while, guilt and boredom conquered my fear, and I returned to Danny's house. He let me in sheepishly, treading on eggshells around me, unsure of what had caused my reaction. I found my outburst to be humiliating, and resolved myself to pretending nothing had happened, yet I still refused to look over at that door, or the spot on the floor where the voice had whispered to me. That evening, shortly before I returned to my own home for supper, Danny and I sat on his bed, talking. 
What are you going to do? I asked. What do you mean? I mean, what are you going to do about... about him? A brief moment of hesitation, remembering that horrible eye emerging from the dark. Well, I'm... I'm... Gee, man, I don't know. What do you mean? You're really going to let your parents just keep him down there? He doesn't sound like he's having fun. You're right. Danny's eyes gleamed. I... I should rescue him. No, no. Danny, I meant like tell Mrs. Carter or somebody. But Danny was far away. Imagining himself playing the part of a hero, crowds thanking him, the president meeting him, all the chocolate he could eat. I realized forlornly that he would not be persuaded. I'm going to get him out. I I don't think that's such a good idea. What about your parents? Danny, if they catch you, they won't catch me. I'm quick. And I've opened that door before, remember? Besides, Danny attempted a macho persona. What are they going to do? Ground me? No cartoons for a week? He scoffed. Where before, punishment had been enough of a threat to deter him. It was now useless. Danny had too much to gain. No, Danny... I attempted to put into words a concept my mind could not fully realize. Something unpleasant. A darkness hatching at the back of my brain. Something beyond being grounded. Something beyond the simplistic idea that a parent loves you no matter what. I also think that I did not believe, in my heart of hearts, that Mr. and Mrs. Johnson were truly capable of holding someone in their basement against their will or that they were truly capable of hurting Danny. My warning came out as vague and feeble. I think that if they catch you, they're going to do something really bad. But Danny wasn't listening. He explained to me how, that night, after his parents had gone to bed, he would sneak downstairs, grab the key from its hiding place behind the toaster, unlock the door, go down those dark, dark steps and bring the man in his basement into the light. He said that he would have to be extra careful and that if he heard his parents coming, he would just lock the door and hide. As I left that evening, he told me he would tell me all about his escapade the next morning on our walk to school. Looking back, I marvel at how we could have possibly thought that our daily routine would be the same. That night, I was racked with fear. Not the same fear I had felt after seeing that eye. That was short and sharp and painful, like an electric shock. No. This fear was far worse. It was slow and creeping, slithering around the pit of my stomach, strangling me. I didn't touch my food and was sent to bed early. My parents thought I was ill. Danny's parents told him never to go into the basement. 
and the next day, Danny was gone. I waited for some time on the sidewalk outside his house, praying to see that cheeky, lopsided smile. But he never came. Eventually, Mrs. Johnson saw me through the window and came out. Is Danny sick? I asked. I already knew, though, what was coming. No. We thought he had gone to yours. A look of fear spread over Mrs. Johnson's face. And the nightmare began. Over the next three months, I got accustomed to seeing the flashing lights of police cars and seeing cops coming and going through the Johnsons' home. At first, the Johnsons were panicked. There was no sign of a break-in. The front door was still locked. And the neighborhood was so friendly. Everyone knew each other. There was absolutely nothing which could explain Danny's disappearance. I remember, after the first week, adults began talking in hushed tones around me. That must have been when they made the development in the case. On the third day, the story made it onto the local news. The Johnsons were interviewed outside their home. In the short time, their initial panic had faded to anguish and despair at least from the outside. Only I knew the truth. Danny had been caught. His parents had done something horrible to him. If I had been afraid of Mr. Johnson before, I couldn't be in the same room with him now. I tried to tell anyone who would listen of my secret insight, but nobody would pay it any notice. Indeed, I was scolded by my parents for being insensitive and inappropriate. Over the years, I stopped trying to convince people. My pain just became a numb, Danny-shaped hole. But I never forgot. When I was older, probably around 13, my mother decided it was time for me to know the truth of the case what they had found at the end of the first week. She explained that Danny's house did not have a basement. Behind that thick, dark oak door, there was an old, unused supply closet. His parents told Danny to never, ever go in there because they stored bleach and other harmful chemicals inside. Danny had never been told it was a basement, that was pure speculation become fact, a product of his troubles with words and his overactive imagination. Inside that closet, behind mops and boxes of clutter, the police had found a hole. The bricks and planks of one corner ripped away. In that hole, there was a dark, dark flight of steps formed from rubble and broken stones. The dark, dark steps led into a large sewage tunnel directly beneath the Johnson's house. In that sewage tunnel, they found many things. A used mattress, a kitchen knife, and the opening that had been made in the top of the tunnel, the chair which had been used to reach the floorboards of Danny's living room, 
to whisper through. There was writing on the wall, scribblings about shadows and being alone in the dark. Danny had not been caught. Unfortunately for him, he made it down there. The police searched the local sewage network and its reservoirs. Nothing. Eventually, they found the last clue they would ever find. Several miles away, an old, decrepit storm drain. Danny's watch. Half submerged in mud and slime. A single bloody handprint made by a small hand on the wall of the drain, elongated along its length, where someone had fought desperately to not be dragged away. I was wrong. The voice I heard under the floor that day was not the voice of a man filled with terror. It was the voice of a man who was utterly, utterly deranged. Thank you for joining me in this episode of the Nope Too Creepy podcast. If you're interested in learning more about either of the authors, links to connect with them can be found in the show notes. Also, to my fellow 90s kids out there, am I the only one who got major goosebump vibes from the second story? If you know, you know. Until next time, everybody, this is your host, Dan David. Reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Nope.